Alain Robert is a renowned rock and urban climber. Known as the French Spider-Man or the Human Spider, Robert is famous for his free solo climbing, scaling skyscrapers using no equipment except for a small bag of chalk and a pair of climbing shoes. Some of his most notable ascents include the Burj Khalifa, the Eiffel Tower, and the Sydney Opera House, as well as other of the world's tallest skyscrapers. He is also a motivational speaker and the author of With Bare Hands, the true story of Alain Robert, the real-life Spider-Man. Alain Robert, welcome to The Creative Process. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me. It's, it's such an honor for us to speak with you. They call you the human spider. You can really say there is no one like you. What you do in terms of urban free soloing, the way you put your life on the line and summon that courage, the way it inspires people to take on the impossible, whatever is their domain. So first I should say congratulations on your 60th year and for scaling the total energies. Yeah, not only that, actually, I, I climbed a bit more than uh, one week ago, uh, Montparnasse. I think it was on the 13th of October. And I was as well climbing uh, in the Gorge du Verdon, climbing some cliffs. Most people are not knowing that actually uh, my background is on rock. It's not on uh, buildings. What I did on rocks, free solo, is much more impressive than what I did on buildings. Oh, that's amazing because, yeah, the buildings get the headlines and the rock because maybe it's not possible to have as much coverage. I'm very sure, yeah, that's the whole point because the rocks, it's it's outside. As when you are doing a building, uh, there is a lot of media coverage and then people are aware and then, uh, you know, the big medias, they, they are showing it. Nowadays, it's even more press and TV uh, agencies such as uh, AFP, Reuters, and AP, you can get uh, a global uh, worldwide uh, coverage with those three agencies. I want to, of course, go into your background, how you first came to the free soloing and the rock climbing, but put us into that mindset of your preparation, say in terms of the free solo climbing, how you're preparing, what you're thinking about surfaces and weather, and just getting into that place to oh. take on the impossible. First of all, yes, I need to know what I will be climbing, whether it's on rocks or whether it's on buildings. And then there is a physical preparation. And regarding the mindset, it's more something that became a bit automatic over the years because I have been free soloing for almost 50 years. So it is pretty much my whole life. So that means that for me, being mentally ready, it's kind of simple. It's almost always the same mental process, meaning uh, I can be afraid before I understand, but I know that I know myself actually very well. And I know that once I am starting to climb, I feel fine. I put my fear aside and I'm just climbing. It's an interesting expression that you know yourself very well, because I think a lot of us might not have that self-knowledge. You're talking about you're aware of your abilities, but also to know oneself, to be so comfortable in one's mind. And, and that's not loneliness, but just describe that a little. Well, it, it actually, so yeah, for me, be, over the years, more like even over the decades, it became something that I have understood. So although you know, I may be afraid before an ascent, which is a normal process, it shows that at least I am not fearless. I am not a crazy person, but 
I know that once I am at it, then I am shifting in another mode and becoming a fighter and I am having a target ahead of me and I am doing my very best for doing it as safely as I can. What's so interesting about it, as you think about people who might put their life on the line or it can be soldiers at combat situations, usually its ends are not positive. Yours is very positive. You push your life on the line, but it's like really a symbol for people. I would love to touch on that kind of situational awareness where you must be making so many calculations. I don't even know, can you be completely aware or it's instinct? I think there is also a part of the instinct. During that five weeks trip in Europe, I climbed a few times, whether it's cliffs or on buildings, I got two close calls. So I nearly fell, but I didn't. So it, it means that I am easily uh, bouncing back. I, I believe that my survival link is very, very strong. I know maybe it sounds a little bit talking so easily about strange hearing me close call and nearly falling, then which could be nearly dying or dying. And I know that it's not the end, meaning I'll be climbing again until I get tired, until I, deep down I'm thinking now that maybe I could climb up to 70 years old or maybe even more. It depends on my health, it depends on my physical stamina and of course my mental stamina as well. That's amazing. Well, I have no doubt in that because as you say, you know yourself. I want to go back to falls because you have had many, many, many successes. You had some accidents. And even beyond that, you work beyond your injuries to persevere. Just describe that process a little. Yeah, I prefer to speak about my worst accident because it was in 1982. I fell from 20 meters, 20 meters free fall, hands first, head first actually. But what touched the bottom of the cliff was my hands. So both, they have completely exploded tearing apart my skin, my flesh, pretty much lost 45% of my blood. Both elbows also exploded because my forearms worked as a kind of a shock breaker. At the bottom of the cliff, it was a slab of limestone. So it can't get any harder than that. It's a rock. And unfortunately, I bounced back and I continued the um, fall, but it was a steep uh, slope. So I got another 20, uh, 30 meters. And I guess that all of that has absorbed a lot of uh, energy. It's a bit like if you compare somebody who is having a car accident, if you are bumping onto a tree, usually you are dead because you are speeding and suddenly something is really stopping you. Nothing is bouncing back. So th this is why it kills you. And the fact that my body did manage to bounce back on the limestone and then rolling again on a steep uh, slope, most probably saved me. I was in a coma, but my coma was just one week. And then somehow I woke up. Yeah, you've trained yourself for that shock as well. I don't know how you trained for that possibility that I'm sure most other people would have perished from such a fall. Yeah, yeah. deep down, I have no idea why I am still alive because normally you are not supposed to stay alive after such a fall, but obviously I did. And the doctors, they said that I was never going to be able to climb back and I made them lie because I came back. It took me two years. 
to be even better than I was before my accident. And although I am 66% disabled, I did manage to come back and to become even much, much better than I have had ever been before. I have climbed in 1991, the hardest uh, route uh, free solo in the world. So that, that was something completely uh, unthinkable because with such a broken uh, body, that also doesn't really make sense. And I don't know how you come back from 66% disabled to be even stronger and to take on even newer challenges. Were you then training different muscle groups? Because I know you have to often more, use... Yeah, things. it is more like I have used what was remaining from my body, what was working. Because doctors, they wrote the foreword of one of my book. And at some point, the surgeon is saying, Alain remains a medical enigma as one of an excellent functional result in spite of a very bad anatomical one. So it shows that my body is a mess, but somehow the 34% of my body that were still working, I have used it more than anyone. And I'm wondering what role does faith or spirituality or just a belief in the unknown or what you can do surrender, I guess. It's the combination of everything. It's combination of faith into the invisible, faith in myself as well. But I guess God may be also a part of the answer. There's this expression, although it's in a completely different context, is the Japanese after the Second World War, Emperor Hirohito had said, only with total surrender does victory begin. Yeah, well, I, I think uh, I heard it uh, before. I don't know if you're able to focus your mind on a certain mantra as you're ascending or coming down, because that's also hard to, but do you have something like that or is it no language? When using uh, mantras, uh, sometimes I am doing it, but it's not something uh, automatic, meaning uh, sometimes there is those mantras coming into my mind if I am into uh, very big difficulties, but Sometimes not. It's more like uh, I am dealing with myself. I am living the moment. And if nearly falling, it's not falling. So for as long as I'm uh, holding something, I'm still alive. So if I'm still alive, I can still fight to stay alive. And they say that persistence and fear are like the two components of courage. As you reflect on that, it's keeping it in the celestial plane or this dreamlike plane. Do you dream of flying? Do you dream of falling? The funny thing is before my last trip, which I came back one week ago, I dreamt two times that I was falling. And then each time I woke up as exactly at the same moment that your arms are opening, then you're dead and then it wakes you up. And that was like a few weeks before my departure to France and to Spain. And it was bothering me a little bit, but not to the point of canceling. Meaning I didn't see it as a sign. I just saw it as a bad dream, like be careful, more like that. And I was wondering about your childhood, your beginnings, how you began on this life. It did start by uh, when I was younger, when I was like seven or eight, I saw a movie inspired by a novel written by Henri Troyat, The Grieving Snow. It's a story of a plane coming from India who crashed uh, near the Mont Blanc one of the highest mountains in Europe. 
And then two brothers who are guide and very good uh, mountaineering uh, climber, they decide to undertake the ascent of the mountain to seek uh, survivors inside the plane. And I, I just didn't know anything. I was young. I didn't even know that there was uh, mountains. And I got really inspired by that. And I just told to myself that I want to become a climber. Get to understand something. It's uh, when I was young, I was afraid of everything. I was lacking of self-confidence and uh, just wanted to be like my heroes, Zorro, Robin Hood, or D'Artagnan. And I had to find a way. Uh, I had to work on it. And actually, uh, this is what I did. This is the story of my life. I have, I've never been really attracted by sports, actually. I don't even like sports, although I became a climber. Mainly, I was just trying to become courageous. Yes, because you're such an individualist. I can understand. It's not the sport. It is you, your own personal challenge. I would say you're an artist. I want to say you looked up to D'Artagnan and these heroes, and you have become in your life a kind of hero to others. And Sydney, who I think you are a hero to her, she is a young climber, not a free soloist, but she has some questions about what you do. Thank you. A lot of climbers, when they get into it, they're starting with ropes and quick draws and all these other pieces of gear to protect them from a fall. So I was wondering if you still find it interesting to climb with all of that gear, or if it's not an aspect of climbing that interests you anymore. Actually, yeah, no longer. I was coming to that conclusion two weeks ago. I was in Verdun, free soloing on site, meaning I was not knowing the route. I was not knowing the name. I was not knowing the grade. And I was just telling to myself, if one day you stop climbing, you're not going to shift uh, and using a rope or harnesses. Or It means that when I will feel that I can't any longer climb free solo, then it's time for me to stop climbing. I think I can understand that once you make the jump to the next step or I guess progression in the climbing world, it's kind of hard to go back because you've yeah, grown that, so much. That's also the problem because I am 60. I have been free soloing uh, my whole life long and I'm seeing that I am 60 and I'm not seeing myself using a rope because this is not what I have done my whole life long. There again, I repeat what I said earlier. I climb free solo as a kind of act of courage. And I guess another jump I'm interested in how you made is you said your background is in climbing outdoors on rocks. So how did you become intrigued with climbing buildings? Uh, climbing buildings uh, came along the way, you know, when I did start free soloing hard grades on rock up to 5.30 D, beginning of the 90s, then nobody else has ever climbed that, that kind of grade on rock free solo. And then I started to appear on climbing magazines pretty much all uh, around the world. And then I got contacted by a watchmaker from Switzerland. And they asked me whether I would be willing to join their team. And uh, I did. And they were making uh, some movies about their different ambassadors. And the film director asked me if I could climb rocks, but also buildings. So at first, I just thought that it's a crazy uh, idea. And then I went to New York, Dallas, Houston, and Chicago. And then along the way, I realized that actually uh, there was a brand new field was also good because it came at a time that I was really uh, pushing the envelope uh, free soloing on rocks 
And maybe it was only a matter of time before uh, I may fall and I may die. And suddenly climbing buildings was opening my life to something uh, different, much uh, safer. I won't say much easier, but in, in a way, because it is safer, it is also easier. Because, you know, in buildings, uh, more or less, it is very repetitive. So if you can climb the first few meters, usually uh, if you are strong enough, you can manage your power and you can last for uh, one, two, three hours, depending on how tall is the building. And I think off of that, because, I mean, we got into the fact that you wouldn't want to go back to ropes or harnesses or anything like that. And you've made this jump into climbing buildings and you started free soloing. So why do you take that risk when it can be managed? And I don't know if you have the moral philosophy regarding climbing. I know some free soloists talk of this internal innate need to do it. And I was wondering if you have any sort of philosophy similar to that. It's because I'm simply uh, not interested to climb. For me, you know, my mind uh, is a kind of uh, safety nest. We human beings, unfortunately, we are only putting safety on something that we can touch. A rope, a chain, a ladder, whatever. But safety, uh, it can be something else. It can be your faith in yourself. If you meet a lawyer and you are telling him, I've been to court many times, having to defend myself in front of a prosecutor, charging me for reckless endangerment. And I explain them, when I'm climbing, uh, I know what I do and I feel safe. And if I feel safe, it means that I am not endangering uh, anyone else. I love to hear about how your mind is your own safety net because it's really back to nature, not something that is man-made. It is you, that's the ultimate strength. Yeah, the, we human beings, we are the problem. We are the ones who are putting a barrier on everything. We don't want to recognize that our human brain or mind is capable to do something that we cannot put on a paper. We cannot buy like you are buying some expensive insurances. And it's just strong belief in myself. I can make it and I will make it because I feel safe doing it. Exactly. And I do wonder about what goes on in the mind of the birds in the sky. They're not thinking, I'm going to fall out of the sky. And that must be something that you tap into. No, yeah. Actually, when you are at it, you are focused. You are focused. You are... Our survival instinct is really working very well. I don't feel like falling. I don't feel like dying. And in the event there is something happening, like a close call, it doesn't really bother me that much. It's like, okay, I, I, I nearly fell, but I didn't. Then show must go on. And, and that's it. I'm not panicking. I'm, I'm just uh, dealing with the obstacles uh, one by one. I'm just wondering how you arrive at that because the ultimate faith is in yourself and you're self-taught because it's all solo. It's not like other athletes or artists, they can do amazing things, but there is a path that has been forged by them and they may have a master who teaches them, but you have to become your own master. It just came like that. I made myself. I had no reference point because when I started to climb, nobody was climbing. There was no climbing gym and uh, there was no clubs. There was, I was not even living near the mountain. So I just to find a way and I found it. That's actually 
quite incredible because I feel like a lot of climbers are introduced to the sport through gyms or through friends and it's very social aspect of it. It's, um, that, that's why sometimes it's, it's quite difficult because the newer generation, they just think that there was always climbing wall. Uh, this is the way it is. They are not questioning. They, they are not really knowing about how it was before. There is some people actually, they led to that game that we are climbing, we are climbing gym and so on. But oh, oh, that was not like that long time ago. That was not even existing. So it's more something that you have been creating. On that note of creating new systems and social environment around climbing, have you taken inspiration from the new generation of climbers? Well, nowadays <laughs> uh, I am following some of them and I know they are doing amazing things on rocks with a rope, but things that I wouldn't be able to do now because I'm far too old. I am 60, you know, I was at my, I was at my best 30 years back. Now game is over. I can still do easy stuff every now and then, but I have been, and I'm still doing stuff, but they are kind of not very difficult. It can be still challenging for myself, for my age, for my strength, for my mental, but that doesn't mean that it's really difficult. I have to say your sense of not very difficult. <laughs> You'll give, I think, a man who's 20 years old a run for his money in terms of what you say is not very difficult. I agree because, yeah, it can, it can be quite complicated to, to understand my mind. Even some very famous climbers who wrote books about the best climbers, they portrayed me and they said that it's very hard to understand my mental universe. For me, I've thought about climbing. There's a whole realm of aspects about it, but I've categorized the different parts of it as maybe a physical, a mental, and a technical battle. So what portion of knowledge do you think would be the most important? You need to be very determined. You need to know why, what are the reasons why you are doing what you are doing. Being sure that you are not doing it for uh, being uh, famous or for the money or all the more nowadays things are far more complicated because me when I was starting to, to climb free solo there, there was no such a thing as a magazine as media and so on so I was just doing it for myself the love uh, of climbing nowadays the, the problem is uh, a lot of people uh, they are doing it for YouTube they are doing it for Instagram they are doing it for all of those uh, social medias. If tomorrow uh, there's no more all of those uh, social medias, I'm not so sure how many people are still going to do uh, what they are doing. It's a very good question. As I take the next step up, I am abovable. Each movement up the wall only increases the risk, the fall becoming progressively consequential. Another step, I am placing my own gear into the rock, not reliant on anything but my own technical knowledge my physical abilities, and most importantly, my mental strength. Another step, I am climbing a major mountain, watching the world from the peak. I continue forward with many more steps. There are many disciplines within climbing, each presenting different risks as you progress into more advanced and technical forms. As you grow as a climber, you develop a good head or the mental fortitude to manage the risk under situations where your life is inherently in danger. Your mind is making a million mental calculations 
and all the decisions that were not intuitive to you when you started climbing slowly become instinctual within your body, the movement, the systems, and the mental state. When you're on the wall, whether you're attached by a rope at the top, bringing the rope up with you as you climb, or climbing without any gear as protection, it is just you on that wall. It is a mental battle, and you develop a deeper relationship with self. As Alan says, he understands himself quite well. The moments of the most intense pressure seemingly produce pockets of clarity within the mind. The fear of death is put aside, and you're simply in a beautiful dance with yourself. You are just climbing. Nothing we do as climbers is safe. At a certain level, all climbers have come to some sort of acceptance with death. I often ask myself, why even take that risk? But anyone who chooses to take that risk, anyone who puts their body on rocks, mountains, snow, and ice, will tell you they need to. They need to do that to survive. Climbers need to climb. Climbing is dangerous, but living is just as dangerous. It is up to you to manage that risk. And we often disregard the power of mental protection, the risk you manage beyond visibility. As Alan puts it, using your mind as a safety net. The human brain is all powerful. It can create what we cannot even speak or touch. Finding the sanctuary within ourselves to find peace, to create a state of rest, allowing our chest to expand and air to flow, to find clarity within the chaos, creating a new sense of steadiness. To do all of this without our physical surroundings changing is a mental power that I am working towards. And I have started to feel it as I'm climbing new things I never conceived of trying before. I have found my escape. It is powerful to see what you can do when your mind and body are working in synchronicity. It is a beautiful, delicate dance defined by its fine line between triumph and tragedy. Alan is not demystified by death, but rather is fueled by courage to keep climbing higher and higher. And I've also seen that you not only have to battle it out mentally when you're free soloing, but you also have to deal with public authorities coming after you once you finish the climb. So I was wondering how you see climbing as a space that allows for resistance. It is possible, yes, to do something uh, illegal because those are, are small matters. There's nothing to do like a big crime. You can be uh, punished the same way as uh, if you have killed someone. If you have climbed a, a building, you know, that wouldn't make sense. So yes, there may be sometimes going to jail a little bit, having to pay a fine, uh, but it, it can't be, uh, it can't be that bad. Overall, it's a, it, even though it's a crime, it's a small one. And depending on the country in Europe, except the UK, although now they are no longer a European country, but it's something really uh, small in a parking ticket. Yes, you have climbed over 80 of the world's mega structures. Just discuss the different challenges involved, like whether it's the Eiffel Tower, the Sydney Opera House, or the Patronus Twin Towers, so many others. But what were their particular challenges of, say, your key climbs? Petronas, for example, it's interesting because it took me 12 years to climb it. Two failed uh, attempts. I get caught on the 60th because there is some uh, platform running all around the building. And I knew that in terms of authorities, there was uh, consequences. And that was complicated for me during the Malaysian authorities three times. The third time, when finally I did it, 
successfully. I spoke to a top criminal lawyer in Kuala Lumpur and he told me that possibly I could land in jail for up to five years. But I was just thinking I have tried to be optimistic and uh, telling to myself that first of all, what was important, it was reaching the top live. And then uh, after I will be dealing with the authorities and dealing with the consequences. But I was fairly uh, optimistic. Yeah, because ultimately the admiration for what you've done must override that. There's this other side of it, the getting permissions or sometimes doing on the request of some buildings to inaugurate them or announce something into the world. Sometimes it, it's possible, but in, in many occasions, they wouldn't allow me to climb. Even with a rope, they wouldn't allow me. So without a rope, uh, it's just totally unthinkable. But, you know, I've climbed in the United Arab, the UAE in Qatar, and I was not using anything. And there was like 100,000, 150,000 people who came to see me, including the president of the UAE and so on. And do you ever feel there's like a sheltering hand or someone protecting you when you think back, how did I even do that? I could have fallen. How did that happen? I, at least I have no idea, but for sure there's a lot of people know that when I was climbing in France and in Spain weeks ago, uh, there, there was a lot of people in my surrounding in Bali who were praying for me. So I don't know, maybe it helps me, it helps them for sure. And uh, yeah, I believe that th there is something much bigger than what we are only seeing. When you have that conversation, because I don't know if sometimes you've been prepared to do a climb and then you get an instinct and you say, maybe it's not the day or something like that. Like you ever get a reading or before you had your fall, like you weren't maybe in the right place. So sometimes I have canceled some climbs because I knew it was not the right day just didn't feel like doing it and I just canceled it. But most of the time I, I try also to be very professional because I know that if I set up my mind, I can hardly change it. Yes, you are very determined. I, I think I'm also wondering how this can apply. So many people would be watching what you've done and they would love to have that fraction of that courage, but I know they're not going to try it. They're going to say, I can't I, do it. Sometimes when people, they're asking me if I'm afraid of something and I'm saying I am afraid of myself because I am not easily giving up. You're afraid of your own fearlessness. Exactly. I don't know what it's like, the rush of coming back down to earth and then this mundanity of life and that you want a life that's full of danger and risk and you want to live outside of the bubble and escape that. So when you're between climbs, I'm not sure what life is like. Can you always achieve that level of intensity? Not really, but the thing is, once you are aging, I'm not as demanding about myself as it used to be. So then I'm fine. If I'm doing like a few uh, cent a year, I'm talking about something challenging, then I'm fine. There was a time which I had to do it pretty much on a daily basis when I was pre-soloing on rocks, but it's a period of time, long, long time ago. Then now, fortunately, if I am having my fix three times, four times a year, I am perfectly fine. And then I can enjoy living in Bali, going to the beach early morning, attending a nice sunset, having a nice glass of champagne and 
uh, enjoying my little boy uh, because I am having an eight years old little boy in Indonesia, married with an Indonesian woman. So uh, of course, then there is other things that I am doing uh, nowadays that I was not really doing when I was younger. I have had uh, three boys in uh, France, but now they're all uh, grown up, uh, 34, 32, and 27. They are having kids themselves. We are very close, huh? but I, I wasn't maybe the best father at that time because I was still maybe uh, far too focused on my climbing career. Yeah, it's really passing on this knowledge as well and not always being able to, I think you taught them through your example. To have a, a father that is living his dream and is really finding intensity and fulfillment in his life is actually a wonderful gift. A lot of parents don't have that kind of example of go after your dreams. No, I know. I totally agree. And, and that's why also now, and uh, I started it pretty much 20 years back, I am giving talks for big uh, companies. Uh, usually I'm talking for the uh, executive because they are the one w when you are working for a big uh, companies, you are facing challenges. I know that the comparison is not exactly the same because uh, me, I'm dealing with my life. So it's a matter of life and death. So I better be good. When you are dealing with money, uh, working for a pension fund or for a bank or insurance company, the deal is uh, different, but there is uh, also some similarities. Actually, I think it's important to bear in mind if you say that they're, let's say, CEOs or leaders of a pension company, it's also that metaphorically people's lives and they have to keep the vision. They have to think that they're not in the abstract, but have that vision. Have they shared with you how they have applied what you've taught them and what you've shared? They, sometimes we do discuss privately and it looks that I am boosting the mind of some, some of the people I'm talking with. And I am on the social media because of my sponsors. And every day uh, I am reading a lot of people who are really inspired by what I am doing. Though they are into some complete different field, it doesn't mean that they are climbing or whatsoever, that just doing something else, but they are inspired. But the very fact that you've done it with your bare hands, with no ropes, all of that, <laughs> it inspires them it to is, do it, more. It, it is definitely intriguing people. And on the flip side, there is a lot of haters, a lot of people who, who wish to see me fall. And there is a, a lot, 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 especially each time that some of my posts are becoming viral. You can get sure that there is plenty of people who are wishing me a death, which is completely ridiculous and stupid because I'm not wishing death to anyone. That's so surprising to me. I would think that they would just want the best for anyone who's doing something impossible. It's just adding goodness into the world. I don't even understand. We are living in a world in which a lot of people are very judgmental. They are not very open-minded. Can be also, uh, they are the maybe uh, jealous or I don't know, some they're having a, a, a shit life. Uh, it's, it's complicated sometimes to understand the human being behavior. And I sometimes, when I get that kind of comment, I am upset. Uh, it, it is pissing me off and I'm replying, I love you. And I put some heart because I, I just want to show them that I don't care about what you are writing. I love you. 
Yeah. You spoke about human behavior because I think that this honing of your instincts and your skills would make you be able obviously read situations, read the wind, read the atmosphere, but also in terms of reading people and relating to them. Again, it's instinctual, but what could you share about what that's taught you about human behavior and collaboration and all sorts of things like that? I think we should be able to help one another, but you know, it's it is not actually what is happening. Societies are becoming more and more individualistic. We own this, we own that. And, uh, you know, if you're having a land, uh, you're going to put sensors all around your land. You, if you're having valuable, uh, you are going to put it in a safety box. So um, at the end of the day, I, I am glad because uh, we live, we die, and uh, we don't bring uh, anything. So it shows that the stupidity of our world, we absolutely want to own uh, everything as we are not owning anything or only temporarily. That is really interesting to think about more materialistic aspect of everything. You said with cunning buildings, it's in a way easier for you. And I understand what you're saying as you're talking about a climb, someone might look at you and be like, that's crazy. I cannot believe you climbed that. That's so difficult. But you're thinking in a way is like, as you as an individual, comparing yourself to yourself is what I understand it. But when you're climbing on buildings versus rocks, how do your techniques differ? And do you have a different headspace? Do you have a different style of climbing? In buildings, you are using the window frames and then uh, usually it's very repetitive. So you, you can pretty much read it from bottom to top exactly what you're going to do all along as on rocks. You are discovering that there may be pockets, there may be small crimps, there may be pinches. You have to decipher the rock the same way as if you were reading a book. And let's say that some of the books are more difficult than others. Because in buildings, usually it's quite simple. It doesn't mean it's easy. You can do climb some very difficult buildings like the Sears Tower in Chicago, but at the end of the day, uh, there isn't much a surprise, except that you need to last uh, 443 meters without resting. So this is the, let's say, the complicated part. But if your body uh, is uh, physically uh, trained, then it works. As on, uh, on rock, you may have a lot of surprises and there may be even some grips, pockets or holes that you cannot even hold it. And that's the thing, you know, what, what I did 30 years back, if today I was going back into those route, I wouldn't be able to hold the grips because I, I don't have any longer the stamina, the strength I had uh, 30 years back. So you said about there's no rest at all. That's amazing. And how you might get frozen and you have to keep it fresh and new, but you must find some way to rest without resting. No, yeah, exactly. Not all rest are passive. So you can rest in a very active way. So it means that you are still managing and saving a little bit of your power thinking that there is still another 100 meters and better save a little bit of my energy if I want to make it. Then you need to find ways, some gestures and to rest as much as you can. And you know, it's quite, it, it can be quite complicated to explain because it is also very technique. 
And what have you observed and what have you learned from animals who might have that same kind of resting while they're in the sky or resting where they're hanging uh, something? What have you learned from watching them? Oh, usually it's more a bit like being fascinated because like lizard, I heard about geckos, uh, they're having like, it's a kind of uh, hair, but they're having like a, a billion in one uh, square millimeter. And then it allows them to hold onto something that is completely vertical. And it seems that there is nothing, but for them, there is something. It's being very attuned. You spoke about this, the grammar of being able to read buildings or structures as though they were books. And so if you could describe some of those structures and how you learn to read them, your different important climbs, you mentioned the Sears Tower and others. You just need to look at it in terms of reading, and it could be really like reading something. I climbed the Luxor Obelisk in Paris, in La Concorde, and I was following the petroglyph on the obelisk, and some they are good, some they are bad, some they are very bad, and you need to choose the one that you can hold it. It's interesting because all of those petroglyphs, they are even having a meaning so that could be interesting to know exactly uh, all the petroglyphs that I have used to go uh, all the way up and also all the way down, because when you are there, nobody will pick you up. And knowing all the scriptures that I have used and what's the meaning. That's interesting because the architects who design, obviously when they design these buildings, they don't design them for climbing. And I think that you have an appreciation of their work some of them, they like me, you know, I've been even invited in Mumbai to speak for the city UBA. It's a council on tall buildings and urban habitat. It's a business, so there's a lot of people attending those kind of seminars. And sometimes I am invited to give a talk because the way I am using buildings, it's very different and it's not made for that. Years back, I gave a speech with Donald Trump. In Dubai, it was also something into state properties and they invited me because I'm climbing them and they invited Donald Trump because he's making them. Well, he used to. Yes. Well, that's a whole nother avenue of discussion, but it's a wonderful, beautiful, courageous life that you've built. You're always moving beyond this pedestrian existence and inviting us to challenge what we can do with our lives. So as you think about the future and you think about the kind of world that we're leaving for the next generation, what would you like young people to know, preserve and remember? Well, f first of all, maybe uh, being a little more concerned about global warming, but it's a huge task ahead because things are also, you know, I am living in Bali. It is a developing world. So it, it means the quality of fission is not, sometimes is not that good, not good enough. So kids, they are not really concerned and they are totally unaware and their parents are also unaware. So it means that in some part of the globe, it will take ages before people, they start to feel concerned. You know, we are having every year a day that is uh, earlier and earlier, meaning that starting from July, we have already used, we human beings, all the resources, renew renewable human resources. Yes, we're consuming them like in the last hundred years, what took centuries to water all the resources. There is too much industry, too much of everything, actually. I remember, you know, when I was young, 
I was going to the, first of all, I was not even going to the supermarket because there wasn't. There was only some small groceries. You could buy maybe, there was one pack of chips. There was maybe uh, two or three types of yogurts. Now there is 300 types of yogurts. There is 300 snacks. There is, I don't know, there is a, a balance on everything. So the more we are producing and the more we are destroying the planet. And if you want to stay alive, we need to protect the planet. That's why Red Indian, they are, they are calling it Mother Earth. Yes, it's that which gives us life. And there may be 300 types of crisps or so many kinds of products we don't need, but there is only one Ala Robert. <laughs> and it's an example of your life of what we can do. We can do more with less and we can challenge ourselves with just our bare hands, our mind and our determination. And we're looking forward to your next decade. We want you climbing into your 70s and beyond. Exactly. Yeah, it's good having a target. Once uh, you have no more uh, target, then life maybe starts to get challenging, but for as long as you are having the will to do this or that, it's a good sign. Yeah, you're always just looking for the next climb. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Sydney. And I hope you have enjoyed. And some of the things I said will be helping you in your life ahead. Yes, I definitely will take some of your words with me as I'm facing my own fears of climbing. <laughs> yes, she'll be free climbing soon. That, it's time to the speed. That's pretty cool. Well, it's a beautiful philosophy for life. And so thank you, Alain Robert, for showing us that we can rise above our fears, that it's possible to do extraordinary things if you have the passion and conviction that the impossible is achievable, and that by believing in yourself, determination and willpower, we can look danger in the face, move beyond our bubbles, and achieve our dreams. Thank you for adding your voice to the Creative Process and One Planet podcast. Thank you so much. The Creative Process Podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. This interview was conducted by Mia Funk and Sydney Field, with participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate Interviews Producer on this podcast was Sydney Field. Digital Media Coordinators are Jacob A. Preisler and Megan Hagenbarth. Wintertime was composed by Nicholas Anadolis and performed by the Athenian Trio. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. If you would like to get involved with our creative community, exhibitions, podcasts, or submit your creative works for review, just drop us a line at team at creativeprocess.info. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.